0: we unpack all things related to mothering.
1: This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us
0: on social media.
1: Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Hi, welcome
0: back to The Curious Mother. I'm Melissa Miller. And I'm Kristen Daly. So Kristen, I have something that I've been pretty curious about lately, and this is something that you've been curious about for a long time. So what I want to talk about today is the role of cortisol in our body. Yes. And to a lot of moms out there, you might be like, oh, snooze, what's this going to be about? But just give us a shot for just a little bit. So this has really, really become important to me. In the past few weeks, I've gone to a few lectures on new research of on our brain and how it works because technology is advancing very fast finally thank goodness yeah and we are just now really beginning to um, really understand how the brain works in ways we couldn't before I think we always knew cortisol was a hormone that is released when we are stressed, but what we are now learning is the detrimental effects it has on our body. So, Kristen, I was hoping that you could first help people understand exactly what cortisol is.
1: Yeah. So, as a health psychologist, cortisol is something that has been, like, key to all the work I do and all of, you know, the way that we conceptualize the relationship between our physical health and our mental health. Um, The way I always like to teach it to folks, so bear with me, we're going to go through a little bit of story time. So, What you want to think about is there are parts of our brains that are really pretty rudimentary. We call it the the reptilian brain. So it's shared amongst animals as low as the reptiles. And the major function of these parts of our brain is really to focus on keeping us alive. Our brain knows two things that it really wants to keep us safe from, and those two things are starvation and predators. And so if you imagine what our brain would have been like in a caveman, that's kind of the easy way to understand how this was meant to look for us humans. So in caveman days, you walk into a cave, and the cave has a bear in it, and your brain says, oh God, there's a bear, right? And so then what happens is the brain is going to prepare the body for us to have a fight or a flight. And so the first thing it does is it starts to trigger the release of adrenaline, and that adrenaline creates some really meaningful changes in our bodies. So our heart starts to beat faster, our breathing becomes shallow, our blood moves from our extremities into our internal organs. Basically, the brain is saying, let's protect the really big stuff, and the extremities don't matter as much as our organs do. But what that can feel like is it can feel like tingling in your hands and feet or sweaty palms and all that's related to blood flow shifting around in your body. Stomach wants to dump its contents. It does not want to be bothered with digestion. We're about to be in this big fight or flight. So we will feel sick to our stomachs or feel like we have to go to the bathroom really badly. Um, we'll even notice some sensory changes, so like colors becoming sharper or tunnel vision or hearing becoming more sensitive. And all of that is we are now on high alert because we are about to have the fight of our lives or the run of our lives. And of course, in caveman days, the next thing we would do is we would fight the bear or we would run for our life, right? And that would be this huge burst of cardiovascular work, which would then be interpreted by the brain as the fight or flight. And what the brain does then is it starts to produce dopamine. And dopamine is our ultimate happy drug. It inhibits the system. It lets the system calm down. It also helps to keep us safe. Like It makes sure that we're going to feel no pain. So if that bear happens to hurt us, we're still going to keep fighting for our lives because we're feeling nothing but euphoria during that time. And so you can imagine, in caveman days, the system worked super beautifully. But we have a couple of challenges in our nice modern days. You know, so I don't know about you, Melissa, but I've never encountered a bear. Have you encountered a bear? Not, not many bears.
0: <laughs> not many bears in your life.
1: <laughs> and the funny thing is, is I do think that actually if you do encounter a bear in the wild, like running like crazy is actually the not worst thing. <laughs> yeah, the right thing to do. You know, the idea is most of the stuff that we encounter nowadays that are stressful, we can't necessarily fight or flee. Right. Like what's your biggest, like What what is like a trigger? Because we all know what that system feels like when that system turns on. Yep. Can you think of what one of your triggers mm-hmm. would be? So one trigger that I have made huge life
0: decisions to reduce this in my life is traffic. Yes. So I am your classic near road rage person. <laughs> if I'm going to be late, if I am stuck in traffic and sitting there for a while, I lose my mind. The other big one that I have though would be my response to emotional situations. Yeah, so if yeah. I feel like somebody's mad at me, if I feel like somebody's wronged me, my body has that visceral response yeah. of
1: like oh no. Yeah, and I, I love both of those examples because they actually highlight both of the challenge that we have with our modern brain. So challenge number one, right, you can't fight or flee traffic. Right, right. You are <laughs> stuck. You're stuck and you are supposed to be in control of this like very heavy vehicle so the thing is is that not only can't you fight or flee but as your body is like all revved up you have to sit still right so that's challenge number one most of our big problems we don't get to fight or flee challenge number two which you highlighted as well is our brain is super complex so it can say oh no what if she's mad at me and then body gets excited, and that originated in your own brain. Right, right. <laughs> nothing really happened. No, and there, is, and there is nothing you can do to fight or flee your own head, right? right? And so what happens is when that system gets excited, it's listening for that off switch, that big burst of cardiovascular work that says, she did it, she fought the bear, then we get our dopamine, we get to move on, it's fabulous. But for most of us, that rarely plays out that way. right? So instead what happens is after about 25 or 45 minutes – our body is going to calm back down, right? We're not going to stay in that hypervigilant, ready-to-fight state for very long. The 25 to 45 minutes is a pretty long time to be on edge, right? And then what happens is the brain says, okay, we got her ready for this fight or flight. We got all systems go. We were ready to go. And she apparently has decided she's going to do nothing about it. She's just going to live in this cave with this predator. And so, what it will do is it starts to hyperproduce cortisol, our stress hormone. And it does that for a couple of really important reasons. Like, number one, cortisol is going to make it easier for our brain to trigger again. So, if that bear makes a sudden move, we're, our fight or flight will engage a lot faster. So, it creates this state of hypervigilance. Another thing that it does is it creates inflammation in our tissues. Inflammation is a really basic immune response. And so what that does is it gets our body ready to fight off infection. You know, so should that bear injure us, we're going to get ready so that we don't get sick or we don't get an infection. The hard part about that is, unfortunately, chronic inflammation is responsible for pretty much all chronic disease, Right. right? So we were never meant to be as inflamed as our bodies tend to make us. Yes. The next thing that cortisol does is it also can change the way our body handles calories. So all of a sudden we are gaining weight even though we haven't changed our eating habits at all. You know, or maybe our appetite drops, but we're not losing weight. Right. And that's basically what the brain is doing is it's kind of swapping its survival strategies. Okay, she's not fighting her bears, so let's focus specifically on starvation. Let's keep her from starving to death. So cortisol is gonna help with that. And then lastly, and this is why it's such a big part of the work I do, cortisol inhibits sleep. It makes it hard for us to fall asleep, and it wakes us up chronically during the night. Because deep sleep is a terrible idea if you're sharing a cave with a bear, right? right? And actually, one of the things that they talked
0: about in the new research was that one of the ways that our body gets rid of the excess cortisol is in deep sleep. Yeah. so how important (laughs) it is, and yet when you have this
1: excess of it, you can't get there. No. And so... It's almost like we're a little bit set up for failure, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and you know, and I would say I actually went through a pretty interesting experience with this um, pretty recently. So I was going through some work transition, and I was pretty stressed out about it. You know, it was taking a big risk, and it was demanding a lot of time, and it was just pretty psychologically scary. And what happened was, so I work with a weight management doctor on my own weight, and I was seeing her. And I said, you know, I am following all of our guidelines. I'm doing everything right. And the weight was creeping up. Like, it wasn't just that it wasn't going down. I felt like I was putting on weight like a freight train. And she was like, well, you know, we know what's happening here. It's because you're stressed. And, you know, and so we had this conversation about stress management. And I was like, I'm a health psychologist. Like, I... I have these skills nailed, right? And she's like, well, I mean, you can be really skilled and your body can still be really stressed. And so we had this really good discussion about that I just needed to try to figure out how to be kind and patient because this is a very basic biological response. And as much as I wanted to inhibit it, there's nothing I could do. Right. Right. What, what ten, have you been through? Anything like that? that you could. I speak have,
0: to? and you know what? Learning learning about the role of cortisol with this makes me feel relieved because I've been struggling for quite some time with my memory, oh. feeling like I can have a conversation with somebody and we d- make a decision. They tell me a story. I find it very interesting. Whatever. The next day, I look back and I can't remember the details. Uh-huh. And so I've been feeling like I've just got this. Foggy brain, like I must not be paying attention. I felt like a bad friend, a bad wife, because I've just been losing the details, mm-hmm. um, and it's been scaring me. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, memory feels very important to me, <laughs> yeah. and to feel like I'm not as sharp as I used to be, and then lo and behold, in these research seminars, learning the detrimental effect that cortisol has on the hippocampus, which yes. is where our where all the magic of the memory happens in the brain, it was this eye opening moment of like oh my gosh, now I know what's happening. Now I know that I really need to figure out what do I do about this so that I can make a huge difference in my memory and feel like I'm not going crazy half the time?
1: Yeah, and it, it's funny because what actually happens is the brain starts to be very selective to really prioritizing the memories that are associated with the big risk yeah. and down-regulating attention to other things. Like the way I always kind of translate this to my clients is you will never, ever, 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 ever forget a meal that gives you food poisoning. You know, because it made you so sick, it was so life-threatening, your brain took a permanent chemical memory of that particular food, and its job is to make sure you never eat it again, right? Yes. There are so many wonderful meals that you have had and totally forgotten about. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's mind blowing to think about how this works the other thing that i find really interesting is some moms might be listening to this and might be saying like well i don't feel very stressed i don't have bad things happening Um, There's not been any difficulty in my life, but, but cortisol is still being released in excess just because of the lifestyle that we're living these days. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they were talking a lot about just the overstimulation Mm -hmm. being read as our brain as stress, right? So, All of this screen time, all of, you know, even as moms, if you feel like, oh, I've got everything down, we live hectic, chaotic lives because we have a lot to manage and balance these days. Mm -hmm. We're overstimulated with noise, with visual, with the... the. Life is so overstimulating these days that we, even if we don't feel like we're very stressed, our body may very well be releasing a lot more cortisol than is healthy for us.
1: Yeah, I find that, you know, the way that our brain kind of turns on our senses, um, I will get really touch sensitive. And um, one of my children just loves to like lightly hook her fingers in my elbow as a way of being connected to me. But it is this light, light touch that makes my skin crawl, and there have been times when I, I accidentally like shook it off, and because I just, it's amazing how it can feel yeah. like it's just too. And I, I, tried to explain it to her of like, I love you wanting to be connected to me. I love you wanting to hook your hand in my arm, but please just do it a little harder, so that because otherwise, I just it sends my nervous system on <laughs> fire. And oh. I, you know, and, and she tries <laughs> and it's not her fault, It's right. but it's just because that's how the body gets when right. we're in this highly reactive state. You know, I think about
0: even I, I have noticed even more my physical responses to things that I would say are awesome experiences. So, um, we live here in Charlotte. My family loves the Panthers. When we mm-hmm. go to a Panthers game, I feel so overstimulated afterwards that it's this, depleted exhaustion afterwards that I've, you know, I feel like I've just run a marathon. Mm -hmm. I'm overstimulated in every sense of the word. Um, I also noticed this. We were out at um, watching one of our favorite comedians two weeks ago. And even though I had the best time and I was laughing I was so exhausted afterwards from the overwhelmedness of it all. Mm-hmm. And so even though that's not stress, right? Like we I think we associate stress with bad things, but there's a lot of just being overstimulated
1: mm-hmm. that
0: our body reads um, it, and tries to protect us from.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because particularly the bodies of women because we are, you know, the the child bearers, our bodies tend to even be more cortisol sensitive. And also what happens is it's kind of looking for lots of different things that can interpret as threats. So sometimes one of the things that can be a big struggle for us ladies is if we do a lot of endurance um, workouts, our body after a certain period of time will actually start to upregulate. So often you think about like exercise being a great stress reliever, and it is, you know, like if going back to the idea of like the fight or flight, Intense cardiovascular exercise is exactly what the brain is looking for, for that fight-or-flight sensation. If we do it in little bits and spurts, we will get nice little pops of dopamine that help to soothe the system and help our brain know we're vital, we're fighting for our survival, we're good. So it's a wonderful way to to, to regulate that hyperproduction. However, if we do too much of it, It'll actually go in the opposite direction. So a lot of times when um, they look at cortisol levels in um, endurance athletes, so marathon runners or triathletes, they often will see that there's elevated cortisol. And the thinking behind that is, or, or kind of my joke is, that if, you're still running three hours after encountering a bear your brain starts to panic of like oh gosh how many bears are there like we've encountered super bear you know (laughs) 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 we never get away from this bear she's still running (laughs) and so it's hard because sometimes you know what a little can be really helpful and then too much can actually be counterproductive right so so
0: So the main reasons why we all need to be very aware of cortisol is because if we want to have a healthy relationship with our bodies, you know, being able to maintain a steady weight, um, having a healthy relationship with food, Mm -hmm. um, sleeping well, having good memory, not being in a state of chronic inflammation, so health Mm -hmm. concerns... Um, we need to know how to, what to do with about cortisol. Yeah. So, I
1: mean, yeah, it was a, a few years ago, uh, Melissa and I were lucky enough to go to a training with a health psychologist who works with the Navy SEALs. Yeah. And um, she had, she, it was really interesting because she was talking about how, you know, the Navy SEALs start their careers as these like super fit guys, right? And I think... I think now we actually do have female Navy SEALs too, which is pretty cool. But super, super fit, ultimate, and athletic conditioning. And what they had found was over time they struggle a lot with chronic disease. And they were trying to understand, the Navy was, you know, what do we do to protect them from chronic disease? Because we're taking these people who are at kind of the pinnacle of fitness and we're basically destroying their bodies. And, of course, cortisol was the culprit. And so um, what she was presenting was they use biofeedback in the Navy to be able to manage that. So biofeedback, just quite simply, is, can be something like a heart rate monitor. It's looking at what your biology is doing in response to an activity. So there are lots of different ways they can test it. Um, heart rate monitors are the simplest. Um, but what they do is they use deep, slow breathing to help to regulate their central nervous system. And that is the thing that helps to diminish cortisol. So um, their protocol is they have 20 minutes every day. And actually, um, she just updated me a couple weeks ago. They've now changed it to 40 minutes every other day because they found that 20 minutes – was hard to get to every day, and they found they had the same effect if they did double every other day. So So cool. I know. And they have to spend that entire time doing really deep, slow breathing. And so they call it tactical breathing. Of course, you can imagine the military gets really, like, very technical about it. We don't have to be that technical. But that's what they do. And a friend of mine from graduate school, he actually does research in our pain sensors. And cortisol is part of our pain perception pathway. And his research shows that if you do 10 minutes a day of deep, slow breathing, that that will actually bring down cortisol to the point where you don't need as much pain medication after surgery. Wow. Isn't that fun stuff? Yeah. So I think we need
0: to label this for people. What we're really talking about is meditation
1: here. Yes. Yes. And
0: meditation and mindfulness are proven to reduce stress and mm-hmm. cortisol. And so I think this has been kind of the hot uh, buzzword lately mm-hmm. but seriously the research is showing this is everything to our well-being
1: yeah it yeah it's fascinating stuff I will say that when I was in grad school I'm I am a pretty cynical person or used to be a pretty cynical person I like to think I'm changing that um but when I first heard about a lot of the excitement about mindfulness and meditation um and we're using those two we'll, we'll unpack those terms in a minute but um, I really thought that it was just kind of hokey stuff. Yes. And I will say, you know, Faddle and I were in grad school together. He believed in per, 110%. It was all of his research study. And I would provoke him and give him a hard time about it. And the funny thing is he's had so many research studies that have demonstrated this is a very big, important movement in our overall health. So You know, it sounds... It- I think in our world, it sounds too simple to be true, right? Yeah. It sounds
0: too simple to work, but I think that's the beauty of it. It's something that's so simple, and that's
1: exactly what our brain needs. Yes. Because it's
0: the total opposite of the world we live in. Yeah.
1: So, like, mindfulness, quite simply, is just being present in your mind, you right. know? It can be, you can be mindful about certain activities. Like, I sometimes will do mindfulness when my son plays lacrosse. And so what that means is, while he's playing lacrosse, I try to stay 100% focused on lacrosse. Yeah
0: yeah, <laughs> I have a th- this is actually one of my favorite examples. Um, I early in my career, I had my first child. And I was working with somebody at the time who was getting really into mindfulness, and she mm-hmm. kind of gave me this tip of just make sure that you're really mindful of these moments so that you can remember them later. And yeah. I still, I, what I would do when I would be rocking my daughter, nursing her, lights low, I would try to be really mindful, pay attention mm-hmm. to exactly what was in the room, mm-hmm. the sounds, the smell. I would be purposefully paying attention to every detail of that moment and what it felt like to be holding her, mm-hmm. and. I can recall those memories. I was going to say,
1: I bet you can conjure that up so beautifully. So clearly.
0: So clearly. Mm-hmm. Whereas other times, there might be really fun things that have happened. And I I can remember some of it, most of it, but not picture perfectly like I
1: can when I was really in the moment paying attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, those are kind of the major tenets, right? Paying attention on purpose. Yes. It, it, you know, and then the last piece is without judgment. Yes, which I think is hard for us. <laughs> yes. But it,
0: it's huge. And what that means is whatever's happening, you're not criticizing, you're not pushing, you're not um, having an emotional negative reaction, you're mm-hmm. not wishing away. You're And in the moment, you're not thinking ahead, worrying about other details of tomorrow or the what ifs of the future or picking mm-hmm. apart the past. Mm-hmm. You are non-judgmentally just paying attention
1: yeah it's funny because one of the basic models within the psychology world is that depression is too much focus on the past and anxiety is too much focus on the future Mm -hmm. and so that's where this idea of like mindfulness is going to pull us away from both of those negative emotional states um And then, but the without judgment piece, sometimes it can even be like not judging yourself for getting distracted while you're being mindful.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like, Oh, I'm not doing this right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh,
1: And you know, that was actually, so, uh, one of FADL's studies, they created a sham, uh, so a fake meditation and then a mindfulness meditation. And, uh, the fake meditation was just, they would say, okay, now meditate. And that was the only instructions they gave the people. And then, In the fake – in the real one, the big instruction is every time you get distracted, just gently redirect your focus and, you know, with real emphasis on the idea of being gentle with self. Yes. And it was was so neat because they were able to clearly designate that mindfulness meditation reduced cortisol way more than the sham meditation because often people will say – Oh, it's really just because people aren't doing something for 20 minutes, you know, that that's why it's effective. And he was able to show that it really, that, that idea of being kind and gentle with self is really very key. Yes. You know,
0: and. And this is an important practice. So let's talk about meditation for a second. This is something that I've now become a stickler on in mm-hmm. my day. I'm only at five minutes a day because that's all that I can find time for. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do think I'll increase it to 10 soon. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to tolerate at first. Yes. Um, but I've downloaded this app called Insight Timer. And uh-huh. it just is this beautiful timer to help you start and stop your meditation. Um, but the point of meditation is if you're doing it regularly a, that's great for your brain, but also then what it means is your body knows how to respond in times of stress. That yes. you can turn to these skills the meditation, the mindfulness, to calm yourself down. But if you haven't practiced, you're not going to be as effective. Yeah. And so I think some people are like, oh, it's fine. I'll deep breathe after something stressful happens. But it's the pr- it's the daily practice that builds up your, it's almost like your brain muscles to stress yeah. that you're practicing.
1: Yeah. And that's, I use, I will always say like nobody in the history of mankind has ever calmed down when being told to calm down. Yes. Right. And we can't really necessarily do that to ourselves. Either You know, if we are saying, oh, I'm so upset because I'm thinking she's mad at me, you know, you can't say, okay, just stop it. It's fine. Stop doing it. And body will relax because that's not really how that mechanism works. For the most part, once that fight or flight system is triggered, we're going to stay activated until it's told to turn off. And the simplest way to turn it off is exercise, is having that burst of cardiovascular work, Right. But if our brain is more trained, if we have had a lot of practice with inhibiting attention and and really kind of regulating where we direct our attention, we actually can calm ourselves down. But it takes a ton of practice, right, right? And so that's kind of where not only sen- is setting apart that time every day and practicing it is going to bring down your cortisol, but it does. It strengthens your brain's ability to inhibit attention, and that allows for you to be able to regulate yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the role of exercise um, of regular daily exercise because that is showing. Research is showing that if you do have regular daily exercise, that your brain releases less cortisol in mm-hmm. the in a stressful event because it already knows that you are going to be able to respond effectively. You
1: got it. It knows you can survive. Right. Um, so I always advocate for regular daily exercise with some cardiovascular intensity. So um, this is one of those things where walking is wonderful for us, but it is really good that we're pushing our cardiovascular capacity. And the reason for that is it is the big bursts of cardiovascular work that are going to tell our brain that we're really vital. Like yeah. that's part of, That's the part of the brain knowing we can survive these things. Yeah. Really simple way to see it is uh, we live near an amusement park. And so um, carowinds, if you look at the ridership of carowinds, okay, so you're going to have a ton of adolescents. They love roller coasters, right? And then you'll have a lot of people in their 20s. And then every decade you see ridership start to fall off. Yes. And the reason why it starts to fall off is as we age – our brain is aware that we are less and less capable of our ability to escape a predator. This is fascinating. So what it does is it amps up cortisol. It amps up stress reactivity because it, it doesn't want to put us in high-risk situations, right? Most 50-year-olds don't need to get strapped into a tin can going at 100 miles an hour to feel fear, right? <laughs> <laughs> they can generate it on their own. They can look at their retirement savings. You know, they don't have to do something really scary. And part of that is because our brain naturally starts to get more fear reactive as we age because it just wants to keep us out of scary situations. Right. And so what exercise does is it reminds our brain of our vitality. It's going to dial back this process and it's going to allow us to be a lot more engaged in our lives.
0: Yeah. Um, I- my friends I'm so glad to hear this especially for the roller coaster part because we've had this debate about like why don't we like roller coasters as much as (laughs) we used to and we've all kind of been coming up with this theory something about the inner ear canal it makes us it thins as we age it makes us more dizzy and carsick this all comes up because I used to love roller coasters but now that my kids are of the age where they want to go on the upside down things Mm -hmm. I am like shaking as we get off of them yes
1: me too and I I, I love That you have the inner ear strategy. Mine is that I'm blind in one eye, and my brain has to work too hard <laughs> to make sense out of what we're doing. <laughs> that's that's my official story, and I'm sticking to it. By the way, um, but yeah, that's it's totally part of it. And so, if we just add, like, what I always tell my my clients is, if you love walking fabulous. Make sure you have a hill somewhere in your yes. walk and charge up that hill. Just get your heart rate pushed a little bit harder.
0: And research really shows your heart rate just has to get up for yes. a little bit of time. So this doesn't even mean like you don't need to go to the hour long exercise class and get nope. in the right clothes. Like this could be a 15 minute walk. Yeah. That's all it has to be. And if we keep it simple, it's so much easier to make sure it happens every day. Because what I think happens is we're like, oh, if I'm not doing, if I'm not doing the
1: Big exercise, then what's the point? Yes, well, and it's funny. We live near a really nice, pretty stout hill, and um, and so what the research shows is we need about four to five minutes of cardiovascular intensity to to really help this system. So That's huge. Four to five. five. Yeah, <laughs> not forty-five. Four to five. And so I actually, when I'm going through times of really high stress, um, I will go out and I'll run hill sprints. And so I just go to that hill. I'll run up it four or five times. Yes. I've, every time I get to the top, I'm totally winded, totally exhausted. I walk back down. I do it over again. And that gives my brain just, it's like a deep brain massage. Yes. <laughs> and, and it lets my brain know we're vital. We're okay. We're, we're fighting these things. It's and, amazing. Yeah. And tell me, tell me how
0: that helps your sleep.
1: Yeah, so what happens is when we have those big bursts, then our brain knows we're going to get that nice dopamine release, and that's going to inhibit that system. It also dials back the cortisol, which takes away our sleep disruption. It basically allows our brain to soothe, you know, and knows she took care of it. She's no longer, you know, wrestling with this bear. We got away. And it's just a really basic message that our brain needs. So if you imagine, like, Exercise is going to bring heart rate up high. That's going to keep our brain from kind of kicking off a hyperproduction of cortisol because it knows, okay, we had, that, we had that predator, but now she fought it. And then the deep breathing, deep, slow breathing brings our heart rate nice and low. And when we do that, that's going to help to trigger cortisol reabsorption. So we need high heart rate and low heart rate pretty much every day to help regulate this system. This is fascinating.
0: All right. There's one more big piece that we want to talk about, which is gratitude. Yes.
1: So the other thing to think about is when we are stressed out, like our brain starts to really want more of this dopamine and we can get dopamine in lots of different ways. I mean, dopamine is our sex, drugs and rock and roll neurotransmitter. We love dopamine. It, we love it. And I always say like my unifying theory of everything is if you can find a really good healthy source for your dopamine, like you're going to be in a really good place, love you know? It. <laughs> and so like chocolate will release dopamine. Yeah, I mean, there you know, there are lots of different ways we can get it, and yet we tend to kind of go to the the cheap, easy ones, and you know, the more complex ones like success or um, you know, even exercise can be a little bit more complex source of dopamine. We we tend to not always want to turn to those. Um, the other thing that happens is if you imagine that stress pathway is always trying to collect information, like what is the stuff that's going to trigger this response, and it goes back to. Our brain, this very basic part of our brain, feels like we're safer when we're in that hypervigilant fight-or-flight state. And so it's going to look for anything it can to try to reinforce that. And so this is why stressful stuff, our brain will hold on to. You know, hard memories, brain's going to hold on to. Good stuff, not so much. We have to work to retain that information. And this is where a gratitude practice can be a really fun way to do that. So, probably about eight years ago, I was in a women's group, and we started, we had read this book, and we were going to keep a list of the things we were grateful for. And this goes back to, like, so, Kristen, eight years ago, very cynical person, I was like, this is just so stupid, but I'm going to do it because I'm in this women's group and we're doing it, whatever. And I will tell you, like, so we collage these little journals, and um, and my journal is just so (laughs) (laughs) sad-looking. But I, um, I did it anyways. You know, I kept it, and the, the goal was to try to get to a list of a thousand within the year. It's eight years later. I hit a thousand like probably two months ago. So I finally got there. Wow! I've been diligently keeping this list, and if my house was on fire. That would be the thing that I would try to catch. Really? It it matters that much to me. And I really think it is the reason why I'm not such a cynical person anymore. Because what happens is when you have a gratitude practice, you're intentionally using a different part of your brain and you're really exciting that pathway. And that pathway is the pathway that can feel hope. And guess what? This is also the pathway that can be more effective at inhibiting our reactivity to stress. Yes.
0: You know, yes, and so it's cortisol. kind of,
1: it, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like even just as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about the fact that I just went through a stressful several months and probably net total weight gain of about like seven to 10 pounds in that stressful several months. But if it, if this was eight years ago, I would be willing to bet. It would have been significantly more. It would have been a lot more dysregulation. And I think that even just because, you know, my gratitude list was still going during these stressful times because I just kept focusing on the things that I really loved. And so even as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking, I bet that practice, like, probably was one of the things that maybe, you know, it, it wasn't that I skated through with no responses to the stress. But you weathered it better. You weathered but I weathered it better. better. Yeah. It's so, amazing.
0: And th- like I said, the, some of these things are so simple that it seems silly, right? Yeah. Like, but we have research to back up. This is the most powerful stuff we can do and how awesome that it's so simple yes and how cool to do this to get I mean gratitude is something you can practice on your own but I also love the idea of bringing it into your family to teach yeah. your kids so we really we do gratitude at dinner nice. we talk about the things that we're thankful for the people that we're thankful for I think this is also probably a lot of um, Research will show that people who, when they're praying, when they're giving mm-hmm. gratitude, and yes. they, this is a nightly routine, that they tend to have less effects of stress, too. Absolutely. So, yeah, and that's
1: one of the pathways where we can see that has a, a lot of power. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. A few years ago, my kids came across my list, you know, because my list is very personal. It's like, I mean, it's one, it's in a stack of books on my nightstand. It's not something that I, like, and leave a laying around. But they came across it, and um, it was really fun. For them to see the stuff that I noticed, you know, and I, so I don't try to write it with the idea of them reading it because I really want to be authentic, you know, and they, of course, were sizing up like, well, why is this? Why is she mentioned this many times? And I, you know, and, and so that's why I also, I'm not writing it for them. I'm writing it for me, um, but it also was pretty cool because they were just, they were really a little odd by the fact that I'm in the background, like watching this stuff that happens yeah. and noting it and reflecting on it. And so that was, I felt like that was a pretty cool mom win. <laughs> That's awesome. So we ha- we hope that this
0: kind of opens everybody's eyes to how important it is that we understand the role of cortisol and that we are taking really good care of ourselves because this has huge, significant health consequences and we hope that you are walking away from this knowing some things that you can do today there's nothing that you need to buy or be prepared for this, these are easy things that you can start doing now and we challenge you to that so we want everybody to fight cortisol and that we'll do hashtag fight cortisol yeah, i like it
1: I, I like it and yeah come up you know share with us the ways that you've discovered to try to help regulate your brain thank you so much for joining us today We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode
0: of The Curious Mother.
1: Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com where you will find resources related to episode topics.
0: Please join our community and add your voice.
1: Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening.